lived his life, a life of compassion and a life of love. And one of the many things I said to him was that Jesus does what he does because of who he is. Jesus does what he does because of who he is. We can't separate Jesus' life from who Jesus is. Because his life, his work, his ministry are powerful and significant only because of who he is. If he's just a man only, then nothing he does is significant at all. If he's just like me. If he's just like you. So who is Jesus? He's Emmanuel. He's God with us in the flesh. And that's not a metaphor. It's not a parable. He is really and truly God, and he's really and truly man, the God-man, supernatural. It is true. We can't comprehend it, but it's real, 100%. He's God and man. And his presence is the eternal, unbroken continuum that moves sovereignly through every area of your life if you are a believer. His presence sovereignly moves through your life. I call him Fitbit Jesus. That's what I call him. Because he's with you through all life's activities. He's tracking everything that you're doing. He's with you. Even in your struggles with sin, if you are a believer, believer, Jesus is with you. And the question is, is, do you believe it? It's a question. Do you believe it? Because you can come here every week, you can come to Sunday school, you can go to your small group, you can go to Bible study, you can do all that stuff. If it only lands here and never go here, it does you no good. It's only when that stuff gets into your heart that it changes your life. Everybody has a lot of head knowledge about Jesus, but it never goes into their heart and make a difference in their life. Is it in your heart or is it just knowledge? Where is it? So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. And one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house, took his seat at the table. And a woman, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar ornament. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now the Pharisee who had invited him saw this and said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other owed him 50. Which, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you judge rightly. Then turning to the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has ceased to stop kissing my feet. You did not anoint my hair with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, 
her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven a little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then all who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's holy and errant word. Please pray with and for me. Father God, as we come to the preaching of your truth, we definitely we need the Holy Spirit. That's who we need. Because even as believers, those of us who have faith in Christ, we cannot understand the scriptures apart from your spirit. We cannot. Our faith is highly supernatural. That's why we can't expect unbelievers to act like Christians, because they're not Christians. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They can't love you and live for you without the spirit. So help us to know those of us who have the spirit living in us, we need him to draw our hearts closer the throne of grace we cannot draw our own hearts there we need you holy spirit we pray to you holy spirit that you would descend and that you would move and that you would use this preached word apply it to my heart and apply it to the hearts of everyone here and i pray for those who are here who may not know you that you would move in their hearts and pull them in to the kingdom and they would receive christ as his lord and savior today and lord i pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus is Emmanuel to two sinners in this text. Two of them. He meets them while he's ministering in this town called Nan. And these two sinners, they, they are town residents, but they come from different walks of life. They have different sin struggles, but both of them, as I said last week, both of them equally need Jesus the same. They equally need him the same. One of them don't need him less than the other. They both need him the same. And he's Emmanuel to both of them. Last week, we talked about the woman. We talked about her faith. Now we're going to talk about the man, a man named Simon who also wants to meet Jesus. He, too, is a local town resident, but he has a pious religious reputation. Pious religious reputation. The text refers to him as one of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a small religious society of highly prominent laymen. It's a small group of them. I think about 6,000 total. And they're connected to local synagogues and and they're the religious leaders, and they were and they're they're respected by the people. The people in this time they respected the Pharisees. The term Pharisee means the separated ones or the separatists. They are the religious of the religious, the righteous of the righteous. The Pharisees are on top of the religious hierarchy. They are strict followers of the Old Testament law, and they even come up with additional rules and regulations that they follow, too. So they add to the law as well. They have what we would call a works-based salvation, a works-based righteousness. And people who aren't part of the group, if you're looking at this group, you would say to yourself, man, those are some righteous brothers. They're truly religious. They're truly committed because they look the part. They appear righteous. Their morality is high. 
And their legalism allows them to look beautiful on the outside. It allows them to look beautiful on the outside. But their legalism is also their sin. Their morality is their sin. Their self-righteousness is their sin. And it's Simon's sin. Now, what about you? Do you struggle with legalism? Do you worship your own morality or your own goodness? Do you take joy in your own self-righteousness? Are you a Pharisee? Are you trying to make yourself right with God by being a good person? If so, can you even see it? Simon can't see his. He's clueless. His religious piety blinds him. It deceives him into believing that his sin is small. It deceives him into believing that he needs a little Savior, not a big Savior, a little need for Jesus. And yet, he wants to meet Jesus. Why, why do you think he wants to meet Jesus? It's not because he needs Jesus. It's not because he's going to worship Jesus. It's surely not because he's going to fall at Jesus' feet. It's not because he's going to honor Jesus. Now, the text doesn't tell us what the written reasons are, but one of the things we do know for sure is that Jesus has been ministering in Simon's town. He's been ministering there. We know that he raised the widow's son in this town. We know that he healed people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. We know that he bestowed sight to those who were blind in this town. And in Luke 7, 16, the people who witnessed Jesus doing these things, they said of Jesus, a great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. And so Jesus' miracles and what the people said about Jesus could have made his, their way to Simon's door. And so Simon is curious about this man who has been called a great prophet. He's curious. So he wants to meet this man to fill him out, to check him out, to judge for himself if Jesus is some great prophet. So he invites Jesus to break bread with him. He invites Jesus over to dinner to hang out with some of his other friends. And Jesus, he accepts the invitation. He doesn't turn him down. He goes. He reclines at the table, but then there's an uninvited guest that shows up too. This woman comes in to this meal with them, an uninvited guest. And so when she comes in, she sees Jesus. And again, this woman, she has a not-so-good reputation in this town, a reputation that's different from Simon's reputation. And so when she comes in, she, does, she approaches Jesus and does four things. She stands behind Jesus' feet with her head down. Second, she wets his feet with her tears. Third, she kneels down at his feet, unties her hair, and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And fourth, she kisses his feet. And then she breaks open the alabaster jar and anoints his feet with oil, with ointment. Now Simon, still sitting at the table, he observes this. He sees this. He watches this woman approach Jesus and touch Jesus. He, he sees Jesus allowing her to do this. And my question to you, to you is, what thoughts are flowing through his Pharisee mind at this point? Does he approve of these actions? Does, does he see this as acceptable? No, he does not. No, he does not. 
what he's witnessing puts a bad taste in his mouth. Let me put it this way. If he had a smartphone back in first century, then he would be texting all of his Pharisee friends. And different GFIs, he would be texting different GFIs to show his disapproval. And so he would, be, he would say something like, Guys, you won't believe what I'm witnessing here. Right now, hashtag, he claims to be a prophet. Hashtag, oh my goodness. Hashtag, she's kissing his feet. And shaking his head. That's what he would be doing. Because that's what we would do. That's what we would do. Simon doesn't say anything out loud, but the text says he says something to himself. He speaks to himself eternally in his mind and in his heart. Simon has judgmental thoughts about this lady and about Jesus. And each of us in this room knows something about judgmental thoughts. Because we've passed some this week. Some of you have had some this morning. We all pass judgment on other people, particularly people we think we're better than. There's somebody you think you're better than. There's somebody you done judge and say, I'm better than that person. Just like Simon here in our text. Look at verse 39. It says, when the Pharisee who invited him in saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Like I said, judgmental thoughts. She's a sinner and this man is no prophet is the point. I'm wasting my time here. If he was a prophet, he would have known this woman is a sinner. He passes judgment while still being clueless of his own need. Still clueless of his own need. Still clueless of his own sin. Simon judges this whole situation wrongly. He's dead wrong. In the situation, for Jesus is a prophet, not the kind of prophet that Simon envisions, but he's a prophet. Jesus knows this woman. He knows what sort of life she used to lead. He knows that she he knew she was coming. Let's put it that way. And she's there more for his benefit than her own, probably. He knows that she's kneeling before him out of need. He knows that she's before him because of her sin struggles. Because of her struggles with condemnation. Because she's a believer. She comes to him in faith. Because she needs reassurance. And Jesus knows she comes in faith. He knows all about her. What she's done. How she lived her life. And he still lets her touch him. Because Jesus welcomes all kinds of sinners. We don't. But he does. He died for all kinds of sinners. And he's a friend to all kinds of sinners. The most evil person you know in the world, if that person repents of their sin, then guess what? You're going to see them in glory. And if if you say, I can't serve a God like that, then you don't understand your God. And you have a small view of your own sin. Christ didn't die for little sins. He died for big ones, and we all got him. Last week, uh, uh, last week's sermon, I read a verse from the hymn, Jesus, Friend of Sinners, and that verse says, you love every lost cause. 
You reach for the outcast, for the leper, for the lame. They're the reason that you came. Lord, I was the lost cause. I was the outcast. You died for sinners just like me, a grateful leper at your feet. The problem is Simon doesn't think he's a leper, and some of us do too. He doesn't think he's a leper. He has a false sense of his own goodness and his own righteousness, and it blinds him. He's not at Jesus' feet because he doesn't think he needs Jesus. He's at the table with Jesus because he thinks he's equal to Jesus. We are not equal to Jesus. If he was here today, we would be like this. Like this. And if you think you're going to sit with him, then you don't know who he is. You have a small view of your need of him. Because when you see your sin, you're going to fall in need of the Savior who forgives them. Not saying, hey, let's break bread together, dog. No, forgive me. I need your forgiveness. That's what I need. Your pardon. That's what I need. Now, he doesn't think he's that bad. He doesn't think he's that bad. And that may be the case if he's comparing his life to this woman. And the same is true of you. If you're comparing your life to other people that you think you're more righteous than, then you can probably say that. You can probably say that you're better. But here's the thing, people. There are different types of standards in our country. Different types of standards. And these standards impact how people are supposed to function and operate in certain areas and jobs. So each of us in this room, we have some standard by which we measure what we do. We all operate and function under some standard. In our country, you have academic standards. You have the American with Disabilities Act standards. You have the wages and fair labor standards. You have law enforcement standards. These standards set the bar. They set the expectation. They set the requirement. For example, Chick-fil-A doesn't compare their wages and labor practices with McDonald's to see if they're meeting or exceeding the expectation. Why? Because the company don't set those standards. The, the government sets those standards. So they would need to go to the Department of Labor's website to know what the standards are. And the same is true of people. When we compare ourselves to other people to see if we're meeting the standard of righteousness, then we got it wrong. Humanity does not set the standard for righteousness. God does. He sets the standard. He sets the standard for what is righteous. He sets the standard for what is good. He sets the standard for what is acceptable in his sight. And his standard, please hear this, please hear this, his standard is total perfection. Total perfection in action, in motives, in thoughts, and attitudes. That's what he's required. That's his standard. It's doing what's right all the time. It's thinking what's right all the time. It's saying what's right all the time. His standard requires a mistake-free life, 365 days a year. And he does not grade on the curve. It's to be blameless, flawless, guiltless all the time. No timeouts, no breaks. That's the standard. Now, who meets such a standard? Who's this good? Who is this righteous? Who does what is right all the time, every day, all day, with no breaks, no time out? 
What's the answer? It's the Sunday school answer that every kid gives. Kids, what's the answer? Thank you. None of us are this righteous, and neither is Simon. What Simon and his friends do, they lowered the standard and deceived themselves into believing they're meeting God's house standard. So if you ever think you meet God's standard, you're not. You just lowered the bar. You just you lowered the bar. He's not meeting the standard, and he can't meet the standard is the point to. And neither can we. Please understand, the woman is not the only sinner at this house, at this table. She's not the only one that's broken. Simon and all his buddies, they're sinners too. His legalism is sin. His morality is sin. Trusting in his own goodness is sin. His self-righteousness is sin. And guess what? Jesus knew this about him before he went to dinner. Jesus already knew it. And he sees right through Simon's outward righteousness. And he's Emmanuel to him in the process. He's going to try to show Simon his sin of self-righteousness. And he begins by getting inside Simon's head, inside Simon's heart. See, Simon thought he was saying that stuff to himself. But you can't get over on Jesus. You can't hide your true self from Jesus because he knows he sees you clearly. He hears as clear as day. What Simon said to himself, you know what he said, if this man were a prophet, then he would have known what sort, who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Jesus hears this and he answers. I love the way this verse says, it It says, Jesus answers Simon. He answers him because he knows the judgment of thoughts that are running through his mind. Look at verse 40. And Jesus answering him says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, say it, teacher. Say what you got to say. Because Simon already made his mind up that he may be a teacher, but this man ain't no prophet. So say what you got to say. He, and Jesus says it in verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him five denarii, other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Which of them will love him more, Simon? Simon answered Jesus. He says, the one, I suppose, from whom he counseled larger debts. And, Christ, and Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. He judges the illustration rightly, but he cannot judge rightly what is taking place in his own house. But Christ connects the dots for him. He connects the illustration about the two debtors to what is taking place and unfolding at this dinner table. He applies the illustration to Simon and to this woman. And so Jesus turns to the woman. He turns to the woman and he says to Simon, do you see her? Do you see her? Not do you see through her. It's not do you see past her. It's not that do you see her sin struggles. It's not do you judge her. It's not indifference to her. Do you see her love on display, her affection on display, her reverence on display? That's what you should be seeing. An uninvited guest who comes into your house is treating me better than you do. That's his point. That Simon didn't show Jesus basic hospitality. And a woman, an uninvited guest, 
who he deems as a sinner, does. Look at verse 44. Jesus turning to the woman said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. What does all that mean? Simon and the woman are the two debtors in the illustration. And their debt isn't financial. It's a sin debt to God. And here's another point. It doesn't matter if her sin is larger than his sin debt. You know why? Because none of them have the resource to pay it off. That's the point. It doesn't matter if if he sees her, she's a bigger sinner than him. It doesn't matter. He still can't pay off his sin, even if it's small. It's the point. And so that means the moral sinner, the sinner who is so good, isn't better off than the immoral sinner in God's eyes. Both still miss the mark. Both still fall short. And, and sinners passing judgment on other sinners is just a pot calling the kettle black. That's what it is. Because at the end of the day, you are whom you judge. You are whom you judge. So if you're judging other sinners because of their sin, the pot calling the kettle black. You're just as sinful. It may look differently, but they need a savior just like you. And that's Simon, but he can't see it. He has such a small view of his sin that he only thinks he's been forgiven of little. He doesn't see it because he thinks this woman, he doesn't see that he's just as sinful and unclean as she is, as a woman on her knees, kneeling before Jesus, kissing his feet. The difference is that she is aware of her large sin debt. She knows her sins are many. And that's why she comes to Jesus. And her large sin debt is forgiven because of her faith. She knows that she has been forgiven a much and she is loving much. What she's doing to Jesus is, is a display of appreciation and gratefulness in this text. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many, which shows Simon, I already know she had many sins. But she loved much. But he who is forgiven of little, loves little. Have you been forgiven of much? Or have you been forgiven of little? When you look at your life, when you look at uh, where you live and who you are, when you think about the cross, when you think about your salvation, has Jesus, Jesus forgiven you a little, or has Jesus forgiven you a much? Because if it's little, then guess how much you're going to love him? Little. Because you only have little need of him. How is Jesus Emmanuel to us in our struggles with legalism and self-righteousness? He reminds us that our righteousness comes through him. He is the one who makes us right with God. He convicts us of it. He convicts us of our judgment to spirit so that we can repent of it. It's by opening our eyes to the fact that we cannot trust in our own goodness and our own morality. We trust in him. He wants us to trust in his finished work. 
if righteousness could have been obtained by you being a good person, then Christ died for nothing. It was a pointless death if you can earn your own salvation, if you can get your own way uh, out of your sin. It was no small cause for the Son of God to be born in the image of man. He, he left riches to come here. He left glory to come here. Think about that. It wasn't, he didn't go, that's not so you put on his resume. Yeah, I became, God became man. That was a, that was a humiliation for him. To be found in flesh like us. That was a humiliation. But because he loved, he came and gave his life away for you. And so you don't have to live in legalism, live in self-righteousness. Now, you will struggle with it, but do you see it when you struggle with it? And if you see it, then he wants you to repent of it, is what he wants you to do. He wants you to repent of it. Author and songwriter Mike John Fisher wrote a small book called uh, Dark Horse. It tells the story of a black and white spotted horse who longed to be all white. So he went to a special ranch to learn how to think, walk, and prance like a white horse. There, said the horse, we learn how to make the most of our white parts. Even how to pose to show the most amount of white without looking unnatural. The highlight of the year was when the white horses came to the ranch. It was during one of these shows that the horse had a conversation that would change his mind. As the spotted horse watched the, watched how the dark stallion from outside the ranch, I'm oh, sorry, as he, as he spotted the horse show, a dark stallion from outside of the ranch came and said to this horse, have you ever seen a white horse? Have you ever seen a white horse? Well, of course, the spotted horse answered. Isn't this a white horse show? But have you ever seen a white horse? I see the white horses that come in the show, and some of us here at the ranch, we're almost all white. At this point, the stallion was starting to rattle something in the horse's thinking. The spotted horse realized that he had only seen white horses from a distance that he had never walked around a horse that was completely white. Look at that horse right now in the spotlight, the dark stallion said. Do you see all of him? No, of course you don't. You watch, and when he's done posing, he'll walk off the stage into the darkness. Do you see? The light shines on the pose, not the real horse. The light shines on the pose, not the real horse. The spotted horse turned toward the stage and, and tried to collect his stalks. He watched the horses come in and out of the spotlight, striking poses with casual grace. And then with new light, there was something illuminating in his, in his stalks. And he saw in an instant the folly of the whole procedure. How foolish he thought that it never occurred to him before. I'm not going to get any wider by being at this wretch. Only more clever than a pan white. I'm not going to get any whiter by being at this ranch. Only more clever at appearing white. We can become clever at appearing white, at as, as appearing righteous. Clever at appearing to be more righteous than we really are. Clever in appearing to have it all together when we really don't. 
It's a lie. It's a lie. Our morality that we trust in, our righteousness that we trust in, our goodness that we trust in are just poses. And the light shines on the pose. But not all of who you are, because all of who you are has spots. If you shine the light on your whole life, there are spots in your whole life. Because the whole person has blind spots, blight spots. Even the person you think have it all together don't have it all together. Now, there's nothing wrong with us wanting to have good morals and and live an ungodly life. But we cannot trust in those things as a means that makes us acceptable in God's sight. What makes us acceptable in his sight is Christ covering us with his blood. That's what makes us right. That's what makes us acceptable. And the question is now, how do you know if you struggle with legalism and how do you know if you struggle with with self-righteousness? Who are the people that you judge because of their sin? Who do you judge because of their sin? Who do you pass judgment on because of their sin? Because anytime you pass judgment on someone because of their sin, you think you're better than them. You're more righteous than they are. So in reality... The woman who rushed the streets is no different from the woman who don't in the eyes of God. The drug dealer, those who live in immoral lifestyles, those who practice immoral things. In the eyes of God, immorality and morality can send you to hell. Because in his eyes, the only person that gives us a right to stand before him is the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. That's the only thing that, that allows me to get into the pearly gates. And the same is for you. The same is for you. And so Christ doesn't want us to grow in being clever and being more righteous than we are. He wants us to accept the fact that all the days of our life, we will be lepers at his feet. And that, my people, that, beloved, is the place you should want to be. Let us pray. Father, we all are lepers even those of us who think we have it all together. And so I pray, Lord, as we we will struggle with legalism and self-righteousness, we will struggle at at trying to be clever, at appearing more righteous than we are, I pray that you will set us free. That you will set us free and, and help us to embrace the fact that we are lepers, but we are lepers at your feet. That we are people who are forgiven because of your death and your sacrifice. And we are people who are covered in your righteous blood. If we have faith in you, Lord, all those things are true. And so I pray as we go out this week, you will watch over us, you will be with us, and you will continue to sustain us by the power of your Holy Spirit. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand?